0: Welcome back. Um, I realize there's a few new faces um, in the last month or so, so I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm Angela Brown. Um, I'm one of the teachers here at Bible Study. So before we get started, I just want to pray one more time. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this passage, God. I thank you for all that is in here and um, just... All the different things that you've been revealing to me and I'm sure all the ladies, God, as we've studied it, I just just pray for your anointing over this time, Lord. I just pray that all that comes out of me would be like just a drink offering to you, Lord. It would just be glorifying to you, God. It would be exactly what you want me to say and not anything of myself, Lord. I just pray that it would be of you, and that you would just give all of us ears to hear it, Lord, whatever you want to speak to us, Lord, that we would receive it um, with joy, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, (laughs) I have loved um, this study, even chapter 13, (laughs) even the hard stuff that it's hard for me to wrap my mind around. But... All, all of it has been so sweet, and I've really particularly loved um, chapter 12, where we just came from in Romans, super convicting, <laughs> super good, um, I feel like, you know, uh, Paul doesn't mess around when he starts applying stuff, you know, <laughs> um, it's, yeah, he gets direct and concise, to summarize a little bit where we are in Romans, um, Paul has laid out the doctrine of the gospel, just really laid out what the gospel is in chapters 1 through 9. And he answered questions about where Israel fits into the church with the gospel in chapters 9 through 11. And then in chapters 12, he begins laying out for us how to live. And I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 again, because I feel like in the crux, you know, it is like the crux of the rest of the book, I feel like, for, for Paul, what he's saying in verses one and two of 12 on how we are to live. So I'm gonna read it. Um, it says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that it may prove what the will of God is—that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I feel like these verses that I just read that He started off twelve with lay out the attitude, um, in, and also the way we are to live out the rest, you know, our lives for Jesus in all these applicable ways that He's laying out in twelve and so on in the whole rest of the book. It's living daily, surrendered and sacrificing. For Jesus, um, in it, it's the way we worship Him, um, and shine who Jesus is to the lost people around us. It's the heart behind how we live the way Paul is instructing us to for the rest of the book, um, like I said. And we're going to, you know, we're going to stand out in our living for Jesus because we're not going to be looking like the world if we're not conforming to it. If we're letting the Holy Spirit change our mind regularly and redirect us in the way that we live. Um, then we'll find ourselves spirit led um, in our living, and He can be our source and strength to live the way that Paul lays out for us, um, from tr- chapters twelve to the very end. So, in, in the rest of chapter twelve, Paul talked about the function of the believer in the body of Christ. Um, we saw the gifts explained uh, briefly there, and then, um, and when we're when we're using our gifts, we become like Christ's body. Um, in a physical sense, in that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. Then we saw Paul move into practical ways in how we live. And like Jackie said last week, I loved how she said he starts personal, you know, with our hearts and then he broadens out, you know, how we're living with others, how we're living with our enemies, (laughs) you know, and so forth. Um, And now we find Paul broadening out even more in chapter 13 when he begins addressing how we as believers are to function in society. Paul recognizes that we as believers, um, himself included, live our lives as citizens under government. Um, Before I start working out what God says about how we're to live as citizens under government, I wanna just point out something that um, a lot of commentators, I just kept running into it over and over, mentioned with this passage, and that is that God laid out in his word order for us, order in which God puts us in submission to others, many times. There's order within the family, husbands as the head of wives, wives are to submit, You know, Ephesians chapter five. Within the family, children are, submit, are to submit to the parents in Ephesians six. There's order within the church where we fit in as believers, we are to submit to church leadership. And as we will have studied this week, there's order within society, we as believers are to submit to the governing authorities as citizens. And this order is not man-made, but these realms were laid out by God. We see that in the Bible. God is the supreme authority over which, over each realm within, you know, in our lives that we live. Um, But also in each realm he has given us, you know, his word, instructions on how to function in each one of these parts. And so in chapter 13, this is our instructions on how we are to function within society as, as citizens under the government. So let's read verse 1. It says, Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Paul says, very simply, we are to be in subjection to the governing authorities. I love how he's just clear. You know, it's very clear. <laughs> um, I want to break it down the verse a little bit to clarify even more um, so, for the word sub- subjection, I look that up, and it means to obey, to follow the commands or the guidance of. The Bible has a lot to say about subjection. Um, when I checked, you know, just the rest of the word where the, you know, the rest of the Bible where the word subjection was used, it was all over the place, um, more than I had even expected. And actually, those realms I mentioned just a minute ago, you know, within the family, within the church, within... You know, um, those all have those words, subjection, in them. And I found it interesting that you can see kind of those realms that God has us in by just looking up the word subjection and what it says for the rest of, maybe just, I just looked up the New Testament, but the rest of the word would be very interesting, you know. Um, it kind of lays out where we fit, um, and so I was going to list those passages, but I'm not going to do it because I don't have any time. <laughs> I, don't have a, I do not have enough time. But if you're interested, I found it fascinating. I could share it with you if you want. Um, one passage that correlated well with our passage today, I'm going to read it, also addre- addresses this specific subjecting to the rulers and authorities. It's in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. It says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as to one in authority or to governors as set by, as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God and honor the king, and I, I felt like these verses sort of color in our verses this week a little bit more. I just love them. Um, they're very complementary to what Paul says here in Romans 13. We see that we're to submit for God's sake to the human institution we find ourselves under. This is what God desires so that just as we use our gifts or practice what we learn in Romans 12 for godly living, we may be set apart for him not like the world in doing evil, but by doing what's right, by submitting to the governing authorities. And all of the examples of submission that I mentioned before that I looked up, <laughs> it's clear we all function within a measure of order that God has established in our lives. Whether it's submitting to God or to each other, it's the way he has ordered things for us as believers. God is not a God of chaos, but he has established order in many realms of our lives for purpose. So, zooming back to our passage this week, I want to work out a couple more of the definitions from verse 1. The word governing um, in our verse means higher powers, to be above, to control and direct the making and administration of policy. The word authority means a ruler or a magistrate, a judge, an official entrusted with administ- administering the laws, local officials. So I had read um, a lot of commentaries that looked at this word governing and they viewed it within our American context as the Constitution. It's the foundation of the laws and the policies made. Now, I mean, this is just one take on it. (laughs) Stick with me. But I found that interesting, and that the authorities were the ones entrusted to make sure that those laws were enforced. Um, Some people just see these terms as government in general, which that works, I mean, you know, Um, In all the forms over us, you know, they just see it as governing authorities. It's just all in general government. So it's however you interpret that, I think. So if we were to draw a principle from this one verse, because we can get stuck on the interpretation, I think. (laughs) But I think God wants us to move past that and into the principle. What is he really saying in verse one? It could be that we are to obey and follow the commands or guidance of the higher powers that rule in authority over us. And in the next breath, Paul gives us the reason why we are to do this. He said, you know, why, why does he want us to do this? And it's because God is the ultimate authority. So therefore, he has established, or in other, in other words, assigned certain rulers and authorities to exist. We see this at the end of verse one, it says, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. God is our ultimate authority, he's sovereign, even if it's an evil person in authority over us, he has allowed it by his sovereign will. So if you're like me, (laughs) you may have asked yourself, why does God sometimes allow evil men to reign like I mean, you can just look back at history, and it's, like, disturbing <laughs> if, you, if, you ha, if you understand that he's allowed it. Um, there have been many years where at the end of a, an election, let's <laughs> be honest, I feel so discouraged because maybe the person that got elected represents so many things that I feel like grieve God's heart, you know? So many things I don't agree with. Sometimes I feel downright depressed <laughs> after an election and hopeless, but... There's hope in our verse, you know. God allows it. They're there because he allowed it. Um, God appoints nations. um, Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I just started quoting somebody. (laughs) Okay, I want to read a quote from David Guzik that I thought really helped um, with this idea. Explain it a little more. He says, God appoints nations leaders, but not always to bless the people. Sometimes it's to judge the people or to ripen the nation for judgment. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, we see examples of this in the Old Testament when God did this with leaders that ruled in Israel and the leaders that ruled over Israel. We see examples of that. Um, Paul is writing this, and he's currently under the Roman Empire, the Emperor Nero, right? And I just want you to think about this with me for a sec because this was profound to me. (laughs) He's writing this to us, and he's under the Emperor Nero, Easily the worst Roman emperor that ever lived, probably. Um, He ultimately sent Paul to his death. He was terrible, terrible persecutor of Christians. He burned them in his gardens and fed them to lions. Like, he was evil, evil, (laughs) and yet Paul is saying, we must submit to governing powers. I just find that fascinating, you know, why? And it's because there is no person in power that God did not ordain to be there. That's what he understood. That's how he saw it. That's how he wants us to see it. God knows where we are in the prophetic calendar. You know, he has a plan and uses even evil rulers for bigger purposes. So, having an understanding now that God establishes certain authority in our lives, Paul builds on it more in verse two. And I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation, which I thought was really good. It says, so anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Another way of saying this is if we rebel against the authority in our lives, we set ourselves against what God has arranged, and there will be punishment and consequences. I find it so interesting that this word rebel is the opposite of submission. So he's working out a contrast here, you know. it's an attitude of the heart and it's not okay with God. A rebellious heart is not okay with God. First Samuel fifteen, twenty three in the New Living translation says, Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness is bad as worshipping idols. I was like, ah, I better think about this a little more. Like this is, you know, I think I took this idea of having a rebellious attitude you know I see it in my kids sometimes I kind of took it lightly like sometimes I have a rebellious attitude (laughs) but I read that I'm like oh I need to think about this this is serious (laughs) all through the Old Testament we see a theme of Israel having a rebellious and stubborn heart towards God's rule and God's law it's like a repeated theme so it made sense for us as believers to be instructed to not live in this way and we understand why this is important. I mean, if you think about it, every society is ordered with rules, limits for people. It's the way we maintain order and security and safety. We have speed limits. <laughs> we have driving laws so people don't die in car accidents. You know, Laws about drinking alcohol and driving. Laws about not murdering, hurting, or injuring someone maliciously. Laws about lying under oath or against stealing. And we rely on these rules. We do. Many of them are in line with how God would desire us to live. And so if we resist them or rebel against them, there are consequences. I would say that many Christians are the ones that set a good example in this way, you know, in obeying the governing authorities and the rules that are laid out, because most of them line up with the way God tells us to live. Um, But I have to ask the question, so here we go. (laughs) The big elephant in the room question, you know, the one that probably most of you asked yourselves as we studied this week, you know, maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Are there ever times when believers should not obey governing authorities? You know, I say it's an elephant in the room because right now with COVID restrictions and mandates, (laughs) I know I am not the only one that wrestled with this question this last year, for reals, like, oh. I'm fully aware that this is a hot topic right now. If I would have taught on this a couple of years ago, it would probably have been boring, and I would have watched some of you guys drift to sleep while I talked about it like it's not the same <laughs> right now. It's not, you know. Um, because all of us, we've been through, you know, any of us that have lived through this last year, which is all of y'all, <laughs> you know, with our governor directly affecting our everyday lives more than we have ever experienced, at least in my life, <laughs> this has become something to wrestle with. What if we don't like what she mandates? What if, she makes us, what if it makes us uncomfortable or it's inconveniencing us? Are these good reasons to not obey? What are reasons that might be okay to not follow what Paul is telling us to do here? Truly, I felt like this is, this is just an extremely important issue to wrestle with because if we don't and we just choose to do whatever we feel like <laughs> instead of making sure we are aware the Lord wants us on this issue, we may end up with a rebellious heart, you know, that he's warning us against, you know. <laughs> Before I get into dealing with whether or not there are times to disobey authority, I feel like, I just felt like the Lord was like, not yet. (laughs) He's just, you know, he wants me to talk a little bit more about, you know, follow Paul's lines of thinking a little bit more before I go there. So, and I do believe it's because it gives us a good sobriety when we consider how seriously we should take the issue. Um, God wants us to have a healthy fear of authority. So let's read in verses three through five, before I go there. For for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. If I learned anything from this study, it's that we must weigh the issue really carefully and prayerfully. Um, Because Paul is laying it out so weighty right here for us. He's telling us to have a healthy fear of authority. I mean, it's a good thing. I mean, if you're like me, My heart beats a little faster if I look in my rear-view mirror and I see a cop, I'm like, oh! And if I'm speeding, (laughs) then I'm like, ah! It's like, (laughs) you know, I immediately check my speed. (laughs) Why do we do that? It's because we have a healthy fear of authority. It's a good thing, you know, it keeps us in line. The authorities are there to help enforce good behavior. Many times God has placed rulers in their place to carry out the consequences for sin of sin. God uses um, them many times as a means to punish people who, to, you know, who are bringing about evil. In verse four, Paul refers to the governing authorities as ministers of God twice. Their main role is to make sure that the rule of the laws are being af- are followed and are in the, you know, wrongdoers are punished even as verse four mentioned, um, with the sword, which in the Greek it means to have power over life and death. You know, so I mean, go into capital punishment, but it's there, okay, <laughs> Like, just like, ah, I'm not even gonna go there. But it's sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. Much of the time what the governing authorities promote as good and evil is the same as God. And so we see in verse five, therefore it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. It's not just because we fear consequences that we should obey the authorities, but because most of the laws are te- what they're telling us to do is good, you know, it's for good and bad. Um, God has given us a conscience, a distinguisher between what we know is good and bad and a prompter to do what is Right? You know, like he's given each one of us in that. And I think we even talked about that in the beginning of Romans. I can't remember, but I feel like it's, we've been there <laughs> with the conscience. The times where we, you know, that can get funky within our conscience is when we rely on it. Um, and it, we don't want to rely on our conscience too much because it's affected by our sinful nature, you know. So if we rely solely on our conscience to do what is right and wrong, it could lead us astray because we have sin in us. That's why it's so important to line up that with God's word. God's word is like the plumb line for our conscience. Um, It helps us to know and confirm with our conscience what is right and wrong. So what if we have a governing authority that tells us to do something that goes against our conscience or more importantly, God's word? This is a super important question. (laughs) Let's think it through a little more for a few minutes. I think that if we were to isolate this passage, just Romans 13, and not look at the, what the rest of the Bible has to say, we could conclude that there is never a time to disobey the governing authorities. But in general, as a rule, it is good to look at the rest of the word and you know, what the rest of the Bible has to say and then make conclusions as a whole. Um, I just wanna point out, I think most of us would not just isolate passages, you know if i know you guys well enough. <laughs> For example, wives submit to your husbands or passages about never divorcing. You know, we would never really consider, you know, if we isolated just those passages and didn't look at what the rest of the word had to say, there would be no exceptions to those rules, you know. And i highly doubt any of you would do that. <laughs> you know, so it's just as important to do that in this passage, i think. If we isolate passages like that and we didn't look at what the rest of the word had to say, we would probably not always apply it the way that God would have intended it to be applied in our everyday life. Because sometimes there are exceptions. There are times when it is better to not obey. John Corson said it so well. This was like the very, I was like, I want to say it to you twice, it's so good. So just listen carefully, he said it so well. He said, yes, wives, there is a time when you are not to be subject to your husbands. Yes, children, there is a time to disobey your parents when, when they tell you to do something that is directly contrary to the written word of God. But make sure that if you, this is the key that he said, but make sure that if you follow such a course, you have scripture in context and rightly divided not just a feeling to back it up. Amen, like, it's so important. (laughs) I couldn't agree more with John Corson here. It is crucial to know clearly what the Bible is saying instead of just doing what feels right or comfortable. God is the ultimate authority and standard for what is right and wrong. Remember the words Paul uses when referring to governing authorities, they are God's God's servants, not gods themselves. You know, we as believers have what you might call a dual citizenship, okay? And yes, you know, so we're we're citizens in the United States, and we're also citizens in God's kingdom, but it's not like a 50-50, you know? <laughs> it's not a 50-50. Our primary allegiance should be to God. And um, so, as I studied for this teaching, I was blown away by how many examples there were in the Bible of people that had to choose between obeying the governing authorities or God. So many. Um, so let's just think back to a few of them, um, because we can pull out principles, I think, as we look at these examples, along with principles of this week's passage, and that will give us a more complete application, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, I believe we will... Um, oh, I'm sorry. So... Let's start in Acts 4. Peter and John heal a lame man and they're teaching about Jesus' death and resurrection. It's causing, a lot of people are getting angry. They get arrested by the priests and elders and the leaders of Israel at that time. And at this time, the religious leaders are under the Roman authority, yet they still have authority to enforce the moral law. So they're arrested for teaching what Jesus, that Jesus rose from the dead. That's pretty much why they're arrested. And they put Peter in, and um, John in jail. And so I'm going to pick it up in verses 18 through 20 of Acts 4. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So they were released because they didn't know what to do with them. (laughs) And Peter and John turned around and kept doing what the rulers told them not to do. They disobeyed. So we see here an example of someone not submitting to the governing authority because that authority commanded them to do something contrary to what Jesus commanded them to do in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Which Jesus said, it says, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So a principle we could draw from this example is if a governing authority tells us to do something different than what God has commanded of us, we must choose God over man, okay? It's very clear, (laughs) If we just read Romans 13, we may not get that, <laughs> but this is, it's important. We see many other examples of this throughout the rest of the Bible. Daniel and his friends are under a pagan government being asked to bow down to golden, a golden idol and worship it. And we see the response in uh, Daniel 3:16 through 18. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were their code names replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of a blazing fire, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve our gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so the king is furious and he throws them into the fiery furnace. <laughs> and yet God saves them and they do not die. We see a similar example in Daniel 6, um, when Daniel's commanded to pray to the king and he disobey, he's diso- you know, disobeys the king and he's thrown into the lion's den. Again, God saves them and he does not die. Both examples, um, they were punished for obeying God. Yet in the end, the rulers see God for who he is and praises the the God of Israel, they they end up praising the God of Israel, the rulers do. If we choose to obey God over the rulers in our lives, does that mean that God will save us from consequences? I mean, those two examples right there, I think, say, no, you know, we're gonna endure consequences. Um, There are plenty of examples of people who are not only punished, but die for choosing God over the governing authorities. I think Paul is one of them, (laughs) you know? Um, But the principle is the same, despite the outcome, we are called as believers to obey God over man. There are many other examples within the Bible of times when people chose not to obey the governing authorities and they chose to do what they knew was right in their conscience and they obeyed God. In Exodus, the midwives that saved the babies, boys instead of killing them, that was right in God's eyes. Rahab hiding the spies in Israel, disobeying the king's order to bring them to him, and Joshua too, that was right. you know. Um, the three wise men warned by God to not obey, the, you know, they didn't obey the king and they didn't come back and tell him where Jesus was. That's another example. Um, so now let's just make it practical for today, shall we? <laughs> I don't want to waste anybody's time, right? <laughs> so like this last year with COVID-19 has been hard. And we've experienced restrictions and mandates by the governor that I can safely say has made it hard on everyone, you know. um, Yet it's for reasons of safety. It's, you know, so it's reasonable. Not only have the restrictions affected our ways of living within the public, but the restrictions have reached over into our church and to all churches, and, and we've even been told what we can and cannot do in our home, right? I know there are a lot of differing opinions about whether or not the governor has been too far reaching. And I'm just going to say right now, <clears throat> COVID is real. <laughs> it's a thing. I, I want people to be safe. I love people. I care about people. That I don't want people to get sick, OK? But um, we can still land in different places, and we all agree with that. So I just wanted to say that out loud. <laughs> Um, I know there are a lot of differing opinions about whether or not the governor has been too far-reaching. Um, it's hotly debated, and for myself personally, my husband and I have wrestled a lot with it all and how we ought to respond. I mean, we have five kids, you know, that are looking to us and learning by our attitudes and what we're going to do in this situation, you know, it's... It's sobering, <laughs> you know. I don't take this lightly at all. My husband and I, we've wrestled through it. Um, one thing I've really wrestled with in this study is whether or not to address certain elements of the American government. Really wrestled with whether or not to go there. I was talking to Holly the other day, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> She's like, I mean, it was, I'd, ah. <laughs> in most governments, you know, it's similar to ours in that, And so I'm gonna go there a little. I'm just gonna go there a little, okay? <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Most governments are similar to ours in that there are laws for citizens to bring limits in security and safety, and there are laws for the authorities and governments. Or another way to say it, there are rights in which US citizens have. So there's limits on the government too, because of citizens' rights. You know, For Rome, the citizens had the right to vote, to get married, to have a legal trial, and so forth, if you were a Roman citizen. In the US, we as citizens also have rights limited or listed in the constitution um, of our state and our federal constitution. We have a freedom of speech to have an opinion. We have religious freedom, freedom to worship according to the dictates of our own conscience. That's what it says, <laughs> freedom to assemble. Um, in the US, the foundation of our government rests on that constitution. Um, that's the way it was set up on these principles. Um, Now, I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on this, but I feel like it's important to acknowledge it because it is the context in which we live. (laughs) Like, it's important. We have to acknowledge it. (laughs) Um, Are there times as citizens of the US to hold to rights that we have under the Constitution? Are there times in which we should do that? I'm just gonna leave. These are questions for you to think about. (laughs) As I wrestle with this, I struggle with this thought of, I have my rights. My rights are being infringed upon, or whatever, you know. I've struggled with that a little bit, honestly. And I have felt conflicted. In Christ, do I claim my rights as a citizen of the US or do I surrender them? You know? What do I do? And one one question that has really stuck with me is: is it okay to question the government? Is Paul telling us to never question the government in Romans 13, you know? What if the government is not following the Constitution in the way that I believe it should be understood? While wrestling with some of these questions, I reached out to the pastors here at Calvary because they are wise and I love them. <laughs> like, help me. Um, Pastor Doug posed some questions. You know, I, I, he really gave me a lot to, to think about. It was very good. If you all have questions, you all should talk to him because it was very. Um, it was very good. <laughs> so I, he, he had posed some questions to me that made me think, and I'm going to give some of those, not all of them, to you. So this is from Doug. Don't hate me. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no. Um, does the state have authority over the church of Jesus Christ? That's a good question. Does the state have the right to exercise authority over the governance of my family? We need to wrestle with these questions in the context of where God has placed us in our country with our government. I believe there is a good example in the word that might help us navigate through some of these questions. Um, It's found in Acts 22. Paul was speaking to a large group of people, Jewish people mainly, sharing his testimony. And he gets to this part where he says, and God is sending me to the Gentiles, and they, like, lose their minds. Like, it's a mob. All of a sudden, it's a mob. (laughs) It gets out of control, and they're trying to kill him. And so the centurion grabs him and brings him back to the barracks. And this is what he tells them. He's like, flog him and interrogate him, you know, so we can find out what's going on. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) Because that's the way to get answers, I guess. But I, (laughs) anyway... So he inst- that's what the centurion instructs the soldiers to do. And right as he is about to be flogged, Paul asks the centurion a question. In verse 25, it says, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? <laughs> and I don't think he was like, Is it, you know, like a revolutionary, rebellious, it wasn't like, is it legal for you? You know, I think he just asked it very humbly. That's what I believe. (laughs) You know, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? As soon as the centurion confirmed that Paul was a Roman citizen, he released him. He was like, oh, hands off. (laughs) He did this because as a Roman citizen, he he had legal rights. Unless he was found guilty of treason, he was not to be tortured or put to death. Why was Paul trying, you know, I'm sorry. Was he trying to be rebellious and start a rebellion? And I think in the context, no, I don't think so. He simply asked a question, while pointing out in that question that he had rights. (laughs) Which is to say that the governing authorities had their own limits and boundaries when it came to the citizens. And so, is it wrong for us as an American citizen to ask questions when the government may be intruding on our rights as a citizen? I think the answer lies in our heart towards the government. Do we have a heart of rebellion or are we simply asking a question? <laughs> no. I would like to encourage you all that it is not disobeying governing authorities. You know, it's not wrong to act. it's not disobeying governing authorities to ask questions. It's not. This last year, we as a church have been told by the governor to do and not do many things. All the churches have been told to do and not do many things. And the reasons have been for safety. And it's been hard for the leadership to navigate, I am sure, (laughs) because when it all comes down to it, God is the supreme authority over the church, not the governor or the government. We must weigh what God says with what the governor says. God says we are to love others, put others before ourselves. Many of us have done this, but it has looked different for many of us. Maybe to some of you, that would be staying away from large groups and to take precautions, which many of the governor has suggested and given. Um, To others, it may be reaching out to those who are isolated, even if that means risking being exposed. I mean, our ways of loving, it's looking different, you know. It is not cookie cutter. It has not been this last year. (laughs) Um, Maybe to some of us, it feels disobedient to God to give up meeting together as a church body, like Hebrews 10.25 tells us to, that we shouldn't give up meeting together. What do we do if we disagree with one another on this issue and feel passionate about it? (laughs) Like, what do we do? I think the best way to answer this question is to look at how Paul sandwiched our passage today in between Romans 12 and the end of Romans 12. I mean, yeah, Romans 12 and the end of Romans 13. Paul already gave us the answer to how are we supposed to be with one another if we disagree beforehand in Romans you know, before Romans 13, in Romans 12. So coming straight from the previous chapter, this is the attitude we ought to have and must, um, and what we must do if we disagree. This is, here you go. <laughs> um, do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought, but rather with sober judgment, verse three of 12. Love sincerely. Be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves, verse 10. Do not be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor while serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer, especially for our leaders. That wasn't in there, but that's in verse Timothy 2. <laughs> Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality, verse 13. Bless those who persecute you, verse 14. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, verse 17. Pray about what that looks like, you know, (laughs) because everybody's, ugh. But yeah, there it is. And finally, my favorite. (laughs) If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's verse 18. The last one, I believe, is the heartbeat of chapter 13. We cannot do that with a heart of rebellion. We can't do any of those things with a heart of rebellion. Yes, we must do what God is calling us to do, even if that is not lining up with what the government says or what our neighbor says or whatever, you know, but we must do it with a heart of peace and love, whatever He's calling us to do. And we can have unity because of love, which is what Janet's gonna be talking about next week, the rest of 13, (laughs) and grace, which is what the whole book of Romans is about, right? It's grace, (laughs) we need grace. So, this is not a main thing issue, or a gospel salvation issue. I just remind you of that, you know, because I do think there's a lot of, um, maybe division even, among the church, there is, about this issue. But it's not, I just want to remind you, it's not a main issue. It's not a main thing. It's, you know, we can have a different opinion and we can still have unity. So I want to loop us back to verses 6 and 7 to finish this passage. (laughs) And I know it might seem kind of out of order, but I really felt like it's the way we started, and it's the way we should close it, you know? It says, for because of this, you also should pay taxes. Not that part, but. <laughs> for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Um, I think... You know, it's easy to get sidetracked with what I was just saying, but I think, and especially with the exceptions in chapter 13, but I think it's important for us to come back um, and realize that that's not what the point of the passage is. It wasn't about the exceptions, (laughs) but it's about the point he's making. It's important to take a look at them, but in the end, the majority um, of every other part of our life, we need to submit to the governing authorities, you know, that's the main point. We ought to pay our taxes. What is due to the rulers of our day? Not just taxes, but fees, respect, and honor. That's what the last verse says. Um, you know, what, if we do, what do we do if we don't agree with what our tax money is going towards? Because <laughs> I wrestled with that too. <laughs> I struggle when I think about where our money goes for all sorts of evil things, you know? Just like in Caesar and Nero's day, with, in which Paul lived. You know, and in Jesus' day, yet Jesus and Paul told people, pay your taxes. You know, um, Matthew twenty-two, seventeen through 22, Jesus says when he was asked about taxes, give that, give then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Maybe we don't feel in our hearts that we could truly respect or honor the governing authorities. If this is where you are, I encourage you to give it to God. Um. He is faithful to help you get there, to have a heart for them, a heart of love. <laughs> for a while, my kids and I have been praying for the governor and the president. Every day we have this little jar we pass around and we pick out one and <laughs> kids are like, oh, I got this one. I mean, it's the governor or the president. And I'm like, "Ooh, that's an ugly heart. Like, <laughs> stop that, you know? <laughs> but like, they, and I think it's because they don't know how to pray. They don't know how to pray or what to pray for. I'm like, pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. (laughs) You know, I was even asking my small group like last week, like, how do you guys encourage your kids how to pray? Like, how do you do that? (laughs) It's like hard. Um, And it's hard sometimes, especially if you don't feel like you line up with a lot of stuff that they think. But um, I think God will help you get there um, because God calls us to pray for our leaders. Because they need it. (laughs) This is the way we can respect and honor our leaders. We can set an example of love to those around us, especially if we don't like or agree with them. Could God use each of us, even if we have a different conviction about how to apply Romans 13 right now in COVID through this season? Yeah, I think He could use us. I personally believe that He does. We can reach people. He can reach, you know, we can reach people. Um, even if our application of this passage is different from one another. So in closing, I want to share a story um, uh, just something that of my own personal experience with this. Um, our family hosts a home fellowship, and um, you know, during the freeze with the governor and everything, we were just like, my husband and I just really prayed like, should we continue meeting? Um, we prayed a lot about it, and we just really struggled through it because, <laughs> because we really wanted to do what was right, and um, we kind of came to a place where we were like, if we don't continue to meet because we, we felt so strongly about Hebrews 10 and just not giving up meeting together, that it would just, it, for us personally, it would just not be obeying God, and um So to be honest with you, I was really afraid because I was looking around at my neighbors, and I'm thinking, what are they going to think on Sunday, you know, when all these cars start pulling up into our driveway like they always do, and we're not supposed to be doing this, and are they just going to think we're partying or something like that? And I um, particularly feared just one neighbor. I kind of knew where she stood, and I was... I just really thought, you know, God, is this going to like hurt our, my testimony that I have with her, like up until this point? And is she just going to think that I just don't care about people? <laughs> and so um, I prayed, like, Lord, just give me an opportunity with her. And one day I got an opportunity to talk to her. We were out front and I saw her and I just started talking to her. Um, and, uh, I said, "Hey, you know, we're gonna have this meeting at my house," and I explained what it was. It was a, sp- a spiritual gathering, you know, and I just said, "You know, I just don't want you to think we're having a party here every Sunday. We just don't care." And in my nervousness, I just said, "You know, I really do care about people," <laughs> and um, and she cut me off and interrupted me and was like, "Angela, I know that you care about people. I've known you for five years." You know, you having people come to your house for a spiritual meeting shows that you care about people, and it just struck me um, that even God could use my obedience, even if it looks disobedient, (laughs) Um, even if it is disobedient, but I'm doing what, you know, we're doing what God calls us to do, even he could use that through (laughs) COVID-19 to meet, meet even my neighbors, and and God can even spare my own testimony in that. Um, and so I think, you know, whatever whatever we choose to do, whether we're staying home or whether or not, whether we're doing what the Lord calls us to do, if that means to not stay home, I think that he can work either way. He can still use you with your neighbors. <laughs> and um, one last story I wanted to share before I close um, is that I was just... This has to do with just unity. I was just with my good, sweet friend. And this whole, through the whole year of COVID, um, she has felt led to stay back stay home um, because of her own health and everything. And, and that's just her convictions. And I I love her. And so we i have just we have learned through this year, like how can we connect <laughs> even though we're apart, you know, and I miss her so much. Um, and But I support her in her decision and her convictions, you know. Um, and we were in Hobby Lobby during Christmas shopping and, you know, had our masks on, social distancing. <laughs> we're there, but we were just. We were, I was sharing with her about Romans 13 and what I was learning, and, and you know we kind of probably end up landing in different places, but we ended up rejoicing together about the fact that we could have unity, um, even though we disagree. <laughs> that I knew that God was using her in her world and her realm in the way that she was choosing to follow her own convictions. And, that I knew, and she knew that God could use me, even though it looked different than her. And we were rejoicing in the fact that it wasn't a main thing, <laughs> and that we could still have unity together Um, despite how differently we landed and so I just encourage you all you know um, it's okay if we differ (laughs) it's okay if we land in different places that God still desires there to be unity and love and grace so let's pray Lord, I just thank you for the study. I thank you for Romans 13. I thank you for the rest of your word, Lord, and that you don't leave it mysterious or confusing for us, Lord. And I just pray for each of the ladies that may still be struggling through this in their own life on where they should be, God, that you would make it really clear for them what you desire it to be for them, Lord, and that you would give peace among us Lord if there is division Lord in any way God that you would bring us together by your grace and your love um just in the way the only way that you could do Lord I just pray for that I just pray for uh, as all the ladies meet in their groups Lord I just pray that you would cover that Lord <sighs> cover their conversations and that uh, we would be able to rejoice together because we can still be unified in love. In Jesus' name, amen.